0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. One of the most popular uh, songs of the year, and I don't know whether you know it, I don't know it, but I was just looking at it, one of the most popular songs of this year uh, recently, uh, the world celebrated its music with the Grammys. And uh, we know that uh, that whole thing was... Uh, Just a complete representation of all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the truth of the matter is, is one of the most popular songs that was sung, both at the Grammys and has been uh, made one of the top songs, is a song called Drunk on Love, or Drunk in Love. And uh, you know what's so sad is that song not only does not uh, depict what love is at all, Uh, But our young people are swallowing hook, line, and sinker that love is that kind of lustful, uh, uh, driving experience. And by the way, uh, we know this is true because people that really love each other don't use each other. People that really love each other uh, don't uh, just lust after one another and use each other for uh, whatever it is that their own selfish purposes are and then move on to the next partner to be used. That's not what love is. It's an experience uh, that we see over and over again depicted in our culture where they'll tell us that, you know, you should be able to love whoever you want to love and that love is uh, something that should bring us to uh, something that we could all, you know, one love, one experience. You look at the world. Hey, listen, that message is not new. It's not a new message. Uh, If I was to look back into the 60s, we'd hear this free love. Uh, We hear uh, love is all you need. Uh, you would hear all these expressions that we've heard again and again and again about love in our culture. And what we see and and, and can really come away with is just understanding that, by and large, the world that we live in doesn't know what love is, nor do they have it to offer. They don't understand it. uh, They've never really experienced it. And uh, they don't have it to offer anyone else. By the way, if you have love to offer this morning, you know what, you ought to understand that that love comes from God. The Bible says uh, in 1 John that perfect love casteth out fear. And uh, God's love is a pure love. I, I could go to 1 Corinthians 13, and, and by the way, it's been read at many a wedding and not even cited as Scripture. Just said, this is love, and this is love, and this is love, and love is this, and love is that. And it sounds pure, uh, 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 beautiful, romantic, like poetry, but... There's more to that than that. It's God's love that's being described there. It thinketh no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. It endureth all things. I mean, if my love is to endure, I better have the love of Christ. And by the way, it's the love of Christ that constrains us this more, that compels us. I believe everybody should be loved. I believe everybody wants to be loved. I believe people desire to be loved. But what is sad in our culture is that people are running to things that are being defined as love. But where do we look as the definition of love? Where should we come to the truth of what love is? We look at it in Scripture. You know, as I study the Scripture, I understand how less and less perfect my love is and what my knowledge of love is and more how I need to be more like what the Bible says I should be in love. If I'm to love my wife... The Bible says I've got to love her the way Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. It's a self-sacrificial type love. That kind of love doesn't end. That kind of love is not, uh, is not uh, come to irreconcilable differences. That kind of love is not separate. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, the Bible says. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. And so the truth of the matter is, is that's what we need to see in our culture. But I think uh, almost Christians have grown uh, uh, drunk on the world's love to where they've uh, said, well, we're going to to kind of let the world define it or we love the feeling, the emotional pull and the the lustful driving that uh, the world's love is and we've kind of traded off, if you would, in the church of God for love because we love based on circumstance. We love based on whether someone's nice to us or kind to us or done good to us. Love is not any of those things. God is love, friend. He is love. John's epistles, perhaps uh, one of the greatest uh, books of the Bible to read uh, when it comes to love. uh, And God's definition from it. And and John's epistle here has a fourfold purpose. Number one, we find in in, in 1 John 1, 4 that our joy might be full. If you were to outline the book, you could do this simply. And uh, number two, that we might not sin in chapter 2 and verse number 1. And uh, uh, in chapter 5, in verse number 13, that we might know that we have eternal life, the Bible tells us. And uh, number 4, that we ourselves might love others, we find in chapter 4. And uh, you could look at John's uh, uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and understand that's the purpose for which God gave us this book, for us to understand these things. And uh, 1 John's a great book of love. It's, it's mentioned 46 times in 135 verses you think he's talking about love? Uh, I, I think maybe somebody would come to John. Now, John, you're preaching too much about love, and uh, maybe you, shouldn't, uh, you maybe should talk about something else. I mean, in 135 verses, he mentions the word love 46 times. It was written to combat a heresy known as Gnosticism. And the truth of the matter is, the Gnostics believed that, the, that knowledge was power. They felt that they had a, a special knowledge of God and his ways. And uh, John's writing to put them uh, into their place. And as he does, he tells the rest of us about a great God with a great love for great sinners. And that's the God we serve, by the way. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You understand that God loved you even though you were a sinner? He loved you. And by the way, he still does. And the truth of the matter is, you still sin and he still loves you. And nothing has separated you from that kind of love. Boy, isn't that the kind of love that we need? Security. True love brings security, doesn't it? It brings a confidence, if you would, that I'm not going to be separated. There's nothing that's going to come between it. It's the love of Christ that we need to know and understand. John's writing here, and uh, he gives us some things in this passage of Scripture. And let me give you uh, uh, these three uh, this morning, then we'll be done. Number one, I believe uh, we see love described. Love described in verses 7 through 11. He says in in verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another. He's beginning to describe love. And he says, I'm going to give you a description. And by the way, we know where did this description come from? Not from John's mind, because he didn't write his own words. He wrote as the Holy Spirit moved on him. uh, The Holy Spirit breathed uh, the words, gave the words, inspired the words. And he wrote as he was moved to the Holy Spirit of God. So God is giving John a description of love. And John is writing. He's the human instrumentation that God's using. But we also understand as though he was writing during a day of Gnosticism that that word was not just for that day. That that word is the holy word of God forever settled in heaven, promised to be preserved forever for today just as much as it is for John's day. So as we look at the scripture, let's not think, well, it was written to Gnosticism, all those things. That's great. We understand that knowledge. But what do we need to know for today? Well, we need to understand the description of the love. It's unexplainable. I can't understand it or why, but I know I've experienced it and can never be separated from it. Hmm. I mean, I just, the, the longer I, 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 I grow in a relationship with the Lord, I don't know if I get a greater understanding of why he loves me, but I do get a greater experience For this unexplainable thing of God's love for me. I don't know why He loves me. Do you know why He loves you? I I know that He loves us with an everlasting love. I know that I can't be separated from it, but really, if I was to try to put it in words, I I think I would fail, and so would you this morning. It's kind of like trying to tell someone or describe to someone your love for the person that I mean you're in love with this morning. How do you explain it? (laughs) How do you put it into words? I mean, it's, it's hard, too. We get a lot of descriptions of it, but the Bible does a great job. He gives us a description. He says, uh, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and, and knoweth God. It's unexplainable. Uh, uh, number two, it's, it's unending. Uh, he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31. God's love is eternal. It never ends. Aren't you glad that it just doesn't end? It doesn't stop, nor ever will it. It's never going to come to an end. It's never going to come to, you will never come to a place with God where God says, boy, I just, I've loved you enough and I can't love you anymore. I I mean, I've done all that I can. And by the way, there's nobody on the planet that God doesn't love and God can't love. I mean, God loves everyone. The truth of the matter is, His love is displayed in what he did for the whole world. There's nothing limited about Christ's atonement. There's nothing limited about what Christ did. I mean, matter of fact, it's just unending. It's unlimited. Christ is not limited. Christ's blood, what it was shed, it was done for the world. Now we understand that some people don't receive his love. Some people won't accept his love. Some people will reject his love. Some people will reject the sacrifice that he gave. But notice how much he loves. He gave it anyway, knowing they would reject it. He gave it anyway, offered it anyway, knowing that they would, would not receive it. God is is wonderful in his love. He's eternal in his love. It's unexplainable. It's unending. How about this? It's unselfish. It asks for nothing in return. Because there's nothing we can do in return for God. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we're going to do something for God. God doesn't need anything from me. He wants some things from me. He desires some things from me, but he doesn't need anything from me. God is sufficient, sustained in himself. He doesn't need me. In other words, if I die, God's will, God himself, the person continues on. God does what he does. He doesn't need me. You know, it's a privilege to be able to serve God. But you know what I know? That I can't really do anything for God. I mean, I want to serve him, and I want to, and I understand the expression when we say we want to do it for God. But what I'm saying is this morning is that God loves us, and he loves us knowing we can't do anything for him. I mean, loving people that can do nothing for you is the love of God. When we love people, church, people that can do nothing for us, we display the love of God. In other words, we're not loving them because we get something in return. We're not loving them because We somehow benefit from the social status of the relationship. We're not loving them because of the financial return. We're not loving them because of the uh, whatever it is that people love each other for. We're not loving because of what we can get by bringing another person into our life. We're loving them because it's right to love. Because that's how God loves. And they can't do anything for us. Nor would we want them to. We don't say, I'm going to love you and you better love me back. We just say, I'm going to love you. You know, there's some people in your life right now that need that kind of love. They may never love you back. They may never return it. They may never reciprocate it. They may actually reject it, but you love them anyway. That's the kind of love that Jesus loves. Jesus loved people that nobody else loved. He loved them in a way they'd never been loved before. And when his love came into life, boy, it changed everything, didn't it? People that nobody else wanted anything to do with. The discards of life. The people who said, oh, these people are never... Listen, if you were the Son of God and you came to the world, you would not have went to places that Jesus went to find your followers. We would have just not gone to those places. I mean, it's not the... the look up here, young man. We wouldn't have gone here and said, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, go to this place and I'm going to find a, a great group of people that are really going to be able to do stuff for me. <laughs> so he starts on the seashore, Right? Or how about the tax collection office? You know, places that you go to find really loving people. You know, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, those kind of people. Those are the people that are really loving. No. God went to people that probably didn't even understand love, had never truly been loved, didn't understand how to give love, and then gave them love and taught them how to love others. Wow. John, the beloved. You know, John didn't understand love until he met Jesus. He didn't know what love was, but boy, he describes it so well to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, oh, this is love. Here it is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself. Unselfish. It's unmerited. It's unmerited. It cannot be earned or deserved. His love is based in his grace. Jesus, as he looks at Jerusalem, says this, this people, this crowd... Boy, they don't deserve what they deserve is wrath. They've rejected God. They've rejected the Messiah. They've rejected the way. They don't deserve. They have not merited my favor nor my grace. Come on, he looks at us the same way. Have you done anything to merit the favor or grace of God? No. We're not deserved, folks. Listen, we do things all the time to merit love from people. I mean, people may say, well, I like this guy because he does he's nice to me and treats me, does all this. And really, we describe why we like people or why we really love people because really, we love them because of what they do for us. That's not love. Love comes from a heart that says, it's not merit, it's not earned. Listen, love's natural. I love my kids. They didn't do anything to earn it. But even though that I love them, I still, as a parent, I understand that I'm just flesh and I'm drawn in the kind of love for performance sake. Sometimes as parents, we get pulled into that. Well, I'll love you if you do what you're supposed to do. Really, the truth of the matter is, we're being honest as parents. We love our kids whether they do what they're supposed to do or not. We love them whether they do right or whether they do wrong. We teach the kids that song, Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes them sad. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Why do we teach them that? Because we want them to know that God's love is not like mine, not like yours. Oh, he loves us all the time. He loves us. It's unmerited. It's unconditional. It's not based on what we can or cannot produce. It comes from the heart of God. Men can never reach a place when he will not be loved by God. God loved us first. He loved us anyway, and he loves us eternally. Boy, unconditional. Don't we need more of that kind of love? That's the kind of love that I want to be overwhelmed with today. It's not the love that we see in Hollywood, nor uh, do we hear sung from platforms. It's not that kind of love. You notice the love that's popularized in the world is driven by lust. It's lust-driven because it's self-serving. I want this. It makes me feel good. It It does this for me. It makes me feel this way. I'm high. I'm drunk on it. I love it. It's lust. It's it's, it's not the kind of love that God loves us with. We shouldn't even compare the two. We shouldn't even call it love. Because it's not. Love is described. Number two, love demonstrated. Love demonstrated. Look at verse number 10. How is love demonstrated? Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And what? Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God didn't just say he loved us, he showed us. He didn't just say love, he showed us how. He, he, he didn't just say, you know, you need to love. He said, no, you need to love like I love. He didn't just say, uh, you need to understand what love is. He says, let me show you. Let me, let me, let me demonstrate it to you. Let me show you Something that you have never seen. Can I tell you this morning what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary the world had never seen before, had never experienced before, was not deserved of. The world was not worthy of Christ. But Jesus humbled himself. He came and he demonstrated, he commended his love, he demonstrated his love toward us. It was a demonstration. That's what the cross of Calvary was, by the way. It was a demonstration. Why did God allow his son to be hung naked on a cross? Why was it allowed to be demonstrated that way? God was saying herein is love. This, friends, is what love is. It's self-sacrificial. It's giving. It's it's sacrifice. It's, It's giving of yourself for people that cannot do for you. Jesus is on the cross. Two malefactors on either side. One cursed him. One mocked him. The other said, When thou comest to thy kingdom, O Lord, remember me. Who got the demonstration? The one that asked the Lord to forgive him. You know, at the foot of the cross, there was a soldier. That, the Bible says that he came away with this statement. Surely this was the Son of God. What did he get? He got the demonstration. You understood it. When I want to ask you this morning, have you got the demonstration? The cross was not given to us to worship, to merely wear around our necks, to fall down to, to if you would, in in, in marble, and to hang on walls, and to talk about. It's not a badge of honor, if you would. It's a demonstration of love. It's not where we say, boy, this is what I... You know, let me wear a cross so I can show you how good of a person I am. The cross was a torture tool. It was an altar It was a place where Jesus died. Blood was shed there. Why do we look at the cross? How can we look at the cross? How can we look at the greatest symbol during that day of torture as a wonderful thing today? Because of his demonstration. His demonstration changed the way we looked at torture. It changed the way we looked at sacrifice. It changed the way, hey listen, people still today, the cross means something to them. Why does it? means something to them. And by the way, why is it empty? Because he's not on the cross anymore. We don't kill him every time we come in. He's not, he's not crucified or fresh and renewed. The Bible says he entered in once for all. He shed his blood and he's alive. Oh boy, he's alive today, isn't he? He's alive. He ever lived to make intercession for us. He demonstrated his love and when the demonstration was done, he sat down because it was finished It was complete. And then he steps away and he says this. Here in his love. This is love. And don't you accept any other substitute for it. And don't you receive any other kind of uh, cheap uh, 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 substitute for it. Hey, religion has tried to substitute in a cheap way love. The world has tried to substitute in a cheap way love. Don't you accept a cheap substitute for the demonstration of Christ. The Bible says that it was his he was a propitiation for our sins. See, love was demonstrated. God love can never be fully understood, but it can be seen, and it's best seen at the cross. He stood in the gap. The Bible says, For he made him to who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He saved us from hell. Oh boy, that's what we deserve, by the way. And boy, uh, let me tell you this morning, hell is real. It's a real place. People do go there. I'm not going to preach on love and tell you there's no hell because hell makes love even greater. Hell reveals to us how great the love of God is because His love keeps us from hell. His love keeps us from destruction. Why do I need a Savior if I'm not really going anywhere? Why do I need a Savior if I'm not really going to perish? The Bible says... That if we don't receive him, we'll perish. We'll perish. God committed his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, friend. We were sinners and sin demanded a price. There was a, there was a great consequence to it. and God said, hey, I'm going to take your consequence for you. I'm going to take your licks for you. I'm going to take your perishing for you. I'm going to take your death for you. I'm going to take your destruction for you. I will bear the wrath of the Father for you because I love you. That's love. It's, it's displayed. It's demonstrated rather. He, he saved us from hell. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Why do we want to not remove the blood? Because the blood is the demonstration of the love. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. Why do we talk about blood? And although blood may be gruesome and the cross may be gory, these are wonderful things. That's why we can sing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other founts I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious? Blood? Bloodshed? Precious? These two are not synonymous in our world, except for Jesus. Jesus made bloodshed synonymous with love. He made the cross synonymous with love. He made sacrifice synonymous with love, and he said, "Herein is love. It's displayed, demonstrated. We said it was described, it's demonstrated lastly. I've been saying it displayed. Look at verse number 11. How is it displayed? Displayed means visible. How is God's love visible? Because no man has seen God at any time, right? So if I can't see God, how can I see his love? So that's the question that he's answering. How is it displayed? How is God's love visible? It will be visible if it is possessed. That's what the Bible is teaching. Look at verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. It will be visible if it is possessed. If you notice throughout the Bible, there have been men who demonstrated God's love, haven't there? Forgiving love. Think of Joseph. Lied about, sold as a slave, ripped from his home and father, falsely accused, put in prison, waiting, 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 all because of his jealous brothers, yet he still forgave. What's your hang up? That's what he did. Come on. You're going to say that you're, you were worse off than Joseph? God says, hey, here in his love. Here in his love, let me show it to you. Redeeming love, Hosea. Hosea 3, 1 through 3, wife named Gomer. She was a prostitute. Yet, redeemed, 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 redeemed. Oh, she went and played the harlot? Okay, go get her. Oh, she committed adultery? Go get her. Oh, she did it. Go get her. What is God trying to show us? Redeeming love. That's what we did to God. Come on, what's your hang up? God said, that's what we've done. You say, well, that's spiritual. No, that physically happened in his life. In Hosea's life. And God says here in his love. Compassionate love. Peter denied him. He lied about him. Yet Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Speaking of himself... What, what did he do with Peter? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, come around the fire. I've got a meal for you. I love you. All you denied me. All you turned away from me. All you even cursed my name. But I love you. I love you. Compassionate love. How about this? Healing love. I, I don't know about you, but I think we're perhaps maybe the best illustration of that. I know about me. I don't know about you, but with me, angry, bitter, jealous, burning with lust, that Jesus still reached down and picked me up out of the sewer, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, put a new song in my heart. God has saved me this morning. He's healed me. He's my healer. (laughs) He's healed me. He's healed you. Healing love. When the love of God is present in the life of a believer, it would be visible. I believe in five different areas. Let me give this to you and I'll be done. You want to write these down, these are good. They come from His Word. Number one, a love for the Savior. A love for the Savior. John tells us, If you love me, keep my commandments in John 14, 15. In Ephesus, the church, Revelation 2, 4, he said, You left your first love. He said, The Christian love, the love of Christ. Is supposed to be a a reflective and a love that we have for Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Him? The Bible says He first loved you, and if He loves you, you love Him. You love Him. If you're a Christian, you love Jesus. You love Jesus. You know what bothers me today is these religionists who are telling us that salvation is not in Jesus. You know what reveals to me? They don't have a love for Christ. They have a love for religion. They have a love for popularity. They have a love for an audience but they don't love Jesus because when they're challenged and when they're asked, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And they'll say, well, I don't know, maybe there's, a, what are they saying? I don't love Jesus. I don't love Jesus. Maybe it's a Peter incident where they are a Christian, but they're denying him because of the pressure. Or maybe it's just because they're not truly saved and don't understand the love of Christ. The truth of the matter is, is when we're challenged we ought to display our love for Christ by standing up for Him. Saying, I love Him. I love Jesus. I love Him. It's a love for the Savior. Let me say this to you. A love for the Savior will constrain you, compel you to do things that a love for nothing else will. You love Jesus. Number two, a love for the Scriptures. John 5, 39 tells us that. That if we love, if we truly have a love, a love from God, that we love this Word. We love it. You know how we display our lack of love for the Word of God? By not reading it, by not studying it, but also by not following it. Come on, as a church, we say the Word of God is our only authority for faith and practice. If we truly believe that, you know what we need to be? People of the book. We need to be in the book. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to know it. We love it. We love the Bible. We're not critics of the Bible. We're lovers of the Bible. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that are really just critics of the Bible. All you ever hear them do is critique the Bible. Tell you where it's wrong or where it can't be trusted or where you can't cause doubt. Cause doubt. Who does that? Who causes doubt in God's Word? It's not Jesus. It's not Christians. It's the devil. That's what he does. Love the Bible. A love for scriptures. How about this? A love for the sanctuary. A love for the sanctuary. Love the church. Love the church. Can I say this? Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for it. You know, uh, I know the church is imperfect, and you know the church is imperfect. But God didn't call you to love it because it was perfect, He called you just to love it. So, uh, you know, it's sad when people all they do is pick it apart, devour it, seek to destroy it, divide it, sow discord in it. That's not love. Listen, if I have a love for the church, I want to see it built. I want to see it raised. I want to see it strengthened. And boy, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to be a great part of that. I'm going I'm to serve and love and give knowing that those around us are not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Come on. That hurts, is not it? The pastor's not talking about me. He's <laughs> talking about somebody else. No, we're not perfect. I don't care how long we've been saved, friend. We're not perfect. We got our hangups. We've got, our, we've got this flesh. But we love the church. We love it. We don't talk ill of it. We don't teach our children that, you know, be careful what you say about the church in front of your kids because one day they may vacate it because of what they hear you criticizing it all the time. They say, why, why do I want to go there? All my, do, all's my parents do is complain about it and the people in it. It's all I ever hear. Why do I want to listen to that guy? All I hear is my parents on the way home critiquing his message. Talking about it all the time. Critique, critique, critique. Critics of the church are not lovers of the church. Love the church. Love the Savior. Love the scriptures. Love the sanctuary. How about this? Love the saints. Love the saints. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Does God want us to love other Christians? Yes. Let me, um, let me say something that maybe uh, might scare you a little bit. That means loving Christians that aren't even like you. Because some Christians today like to pick fights with other Christians that are not like them. But rather than picking fights with them, let's just wish them well. They're not our enemies. If they're Christians and they don't do everything the way that we should, don't dot all their eyes or cross our their T's, we can still love them. We can, come on. I know that's not the popular message. They're wrong. We're right. You know, we're on the better side. You know, we're going to be in level seven, the independent Baptist heaven, and they're going to be in a different part. God, help us. We're going to spend eternity in heaven with these folks. Love them. Oh, they're not always right. Neither are you, by the way. And we don't dot our eyes and cross our T's in their eyes either. But we can still love them. We still love them. I don't even throw rocks at them. I know who my enemy is. And it's not them. It's not them. So guess what? You're not going to see me uh, creating a newspaper to criticize everybody that's not like me. And to put it out and publish it so everybody is like me. And I'm not saying that's what everybody does. But it's happening. And it's hurting the cause of Christ. And the world just laughs at it. Look at them. They love. Yeah, they don't even love each other. They can't even get along with each other. Love. Love for the saints. Then lastly this morning, love for the sinners. Love for the sinners. Jesus had a heart for sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. He was, wasn't he? Did Jesus love sinners? Hey, Zacchaeus, coming to your house today. Oh, disciples, Jesus, we don't want to go to his. You know who he is. We don't want to be seen with that guy. Come on. Jesus is a lover of sinners. You know how I know that? Because he loves me. You ought to know that too. If he loved you, guess what? There's nobody he doesn't love. I don't look and say, "What? Well, he loves me because I'm privileged. He loves me because I'm different than everybody else. No, I was just like everybody else. I was a sinner, condemned. If he loves me. He loves everybody else too. He loves Come on. Some people like to criticize, and that's all they ever do, by the way. But as much as whatever, are there some, oh, I could bring some political names this morning, and maybe it would bring some criticism out of you. Are they sinners? Does Jesus love them? Pray for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you oh, that's hard. Yes, it takes the love of Christ to do this. You can't do it yourself. That's why he asked you to do it because he knows you're going to have to have his love. Not everybody's going to love us, but we're supposed to love them. Oh, man, that's rough. (laughs) Hearing his love, what is love? Come on, what is love? We need more of that kind of love demonstrated. If husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, Maybe people will look at marriage today differently. But I think the problem is not so much in the world where we're expecting the world to love like Christ. It starts in here. When God's men start loving their wives the way Christ loves the church, maybe it'll change the world. When God's people start loving sinners the way that they're supposed to, maybe it'll change the world. When God's people start loving the church the way that they're supposed to, maybe it'll change the world. When God's people love Christians the way that they're supposed to, maybe it'll change the world. Until then, maybe we could just go back to fighting because it's more fun, right? Nobody's happy in the middle of a fight. We know where our fight is, but we know that we're loved. And here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Do you love Him? If you don't, the Bible says He's not in you. If you don't love, it's because you don't know him, and he is love. Father, I pray this morning. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.